We're in the middle of a series called Letting People See Jesus. I think we are about week seven. What week are we now? We're well into it. And it's going awesome. And uh, this week I wanted to title uh, our talk, Letting People See Jesus in Worship. And I want to take some time to talk about worship today because I truly believe that God is setting us free. And he's showing us more of himself And he's teaching us what it is to worship. And uh, though we talk about worship as our whole lives before the Lord, in everything that we do say or think, a lot of what we talk about today is going to pertain to our times here together as we gather as a congregation. So let let me ask you a question. I wonder if you're like me. Have you ever been somewhere where you've really been looking forward to seeing somebody and chatting with them, right? And somehow you got to the same place as them, and this event or this time was going on, and before you knew it, the time was over, and people were going home, and you never got to have that conversation. I don't know. I often feel like that on a Sunday. I have intentions of who I want to speak to, who I want to chat to and catch up with, and I just get so busy with stuff that suddenly people have gone home. I don't know if you've ever been out for dinner, and there's been a big party of you. And uh, they've organized these long tables. And you've been hoping that you'd be able to chat with someone, but actually you've ended up stuck on one end of a table, and they've been on the other end. And the evening's gone on, but you haven't been able to spend time with that person or talk to them. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt like that before? I've been thinking a little bit about worship, and I, and I think that there's a correlation for us. I think that sometimes when we come to church on a Sunday, though Jesus is in the room... We don't really connect with him. And we go home and we feel like the same kind of frustration. Like I didn't get to do what I wanted to do or, or, or talk about what I wanted to talk about. Does anyone relate to that? Have you ever felt like you've been in church, as they say, but you've gone and left and felt like you never really connected with Jesus? You understand what I'm talking about, I hope. It happens. It happens. And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, and talk about a few reasons why I think that's going to happen. There's a, there's a fantastic verse in James chapter 4, verse 8, that says, and listen to this and think about it, because it's an opportunity for us. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's what we're called to do. You know, when we come on a Sunday, we come to church, but our goal is to draw close to God, isn't it? It's a beautiful promise for us that when we take the time and we consciously make the effort to draw near to the Lord, so not like Jesus is at the back and I'm at the front busy here, but going over to him and standing in front of him, drawing close to him face to face, the Bible says he will draw near. If you're here today and you hunger to draw near to the Lord, I promise you, like Greg Priest, if you seek him with all of your heart, the Bible says he will be found by you. Jesus is actually here with us right now. I don't know if you ever think that we're doing church and we're, we're, we're talking about Jesus, but kind of subconsciously you forget, actually he's right here. Not up there or somewhere else, but he's right here. And we can still miss him though. And so I want to talk about how we can draw near to the Lord and how he, he kind of woos us to himself. The Bible says, draw near to God, come near to him, and he will come near to you. So, what I want to do today, here's the little clicker. If we can pop the slide up, that would be great. Thanks, guys. 
I'm going to be asking this question a lot today in different ways. Because if I was to say, who is Jesus, you could say, oh, he's the son of God. He came and died on the cross. You might know all the story about him. But what I'm talking about today is who is he? Who do you know him as? How do you think about him? What is your understanding of who he is and how he relates to you? Because all these kinds of questions do determine how we come before him, don't they? And I want to draw that out today when we talk about this idea of letting people see Jesus in worship. So, lovely. I want to talk today three reasons why we might not connect with Jesus. Though he's here, we might not connect with him. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And the first one I want to talk about is we might have the wrong impression of him. We might have the wrong impression of who he is. You know when um, you hear of a crime and they create this e-fit and a, and a police artist tries to draw a picture of who they think the, the, the witness is describing the criminal as? You know, many times if you look at art these days that depicts Jesus and scenes from the Bible, it's all people's interpretation. They've tried to imagine what he looks like. Did he look anything like that? Is that really Jesus? How do we know? So what I'm trying to say to you today is you have an idea of who he is. But is he like that? Does he really fit the personal profile that you have of him in your head? Is that Jesus? Or have you got a slightly distorted view of who Jesus is? Have you got a slightly hollow view of Jesus is? Maybe you've got a slightly shallow view of who Jesus is. You've got some understanding But if you're like me, I've discovered as I grow older, I discover more and more about actually who he is. And often he's not who I thought he was, or not like I thought he was, right? So a few weeks back, we're asking this question, who is Jesus? Does he really fit the profile that we have of him? Um, Greg preached brilliantly about Jesus' first miracle when he was at the wedding. Does everyone remember? His first ever miracle... He turns water to wine at a wedding. And I want you just to go back now to that story and reflect on it a little bit. I want to try and draw some worship stuff out of that. Because there's something deep for us to understand that will literally really affect the way that we connect with Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to unpick perhaps a view that you might have of Jesus that's not right. A view that might be limiting how well you connect with him. You understand? What was Jesus like? Right? He was at this wedding, we read in, you can read it again later on in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. There's the story described there. It starts out talking about how Mary and Jesus and the disciples were invited to a wedding. How many of you have been to a wedding before? What kind of affair is that? Tell me. Awesome. Well done. Was it, was it like pretty boring? It was fantastic. So there you go, right? Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> if you got married and you're like me, you can honestly say it was the best day of your life. Everybody works very hard to make sure the wedding goes brilliantly and everyone has a smashing time. Do you understand, right? Jesus is at a wedding. What does that say about Jesus? He got invited with the disciples and his mum, and he went. 
Now, I don't know about you, that might be more significant to some of us than others. Because if you have a certain interpretation of Jesus, you will think that he, he only goes certain places and he only acts certain ways. Okay? And if you have come through a very traditional mindset of church, I really believe that it will reflect in the way that you see Jesus. And I, my goal here is not to say people are right and wrong, but to help us all see Jesus more as I believe the Bible says he is. So the first point that I want to make is that he was at a wedding. A wedding is a celebration. It's a celebration of love. The joining together of a husband and wife. Can you see the picture that's going on here in the background? Right? Where Jesus does his first miracle is at a wedding. He goes to a wedding because he loves to celebrate love. He loves to celebrate. Right? He loves the idea of everyone gathered together to, uh, to make a, a, a moment in time to remember this beautiful union that's taking place. That's why you and I go to our friend's wedding. It's exciting. It's awesome. We want to be part of what's going on there, aren't we? Don't we? So a wedding is a celebration, a time to celebrate. Worship is a time to celebrate, is it not? Eh? What are we celebrating? The union of a bride and a groom, you and me, with our Jesus. Every time we get together to worship, we should be fit to burst with excitement. We shouldn't walk in like this. Do you walk into a wedding like this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you've been sucking lemons all morning. I understand that life can be hard. Please, I'm not trying to downplay how life can have its effect on us. But when we go to a wedding, we go to celebrate, don't we? We go to celebrate. Point number two. Is it significant that Jesus' first ever miracle was about a beverage? (laughs) At a wedding. Okay? I'm not going to get into the alcohol debate. My point today is, why did Jesus allow himself to get dragged into that situation? Because he didn't go there specifically to perform that first miracle. You can see from his resistance in the story. He was like, Mom, why are you bothering me? What has this got to do with me? We'll talk about that in a minute. But my point is, right, when you're at a wedding, if the alcohol runs out, the mood changes. Right? Some of us will say, yes, that's a good thing. Others of us will say, that's awful. Whatever the point is, there's a mood and an atmosphere at a wedding that Jesus didn't want to see subside. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. He didn't want the the guy who organized the wedding to be embarrassed by the fact that the wine ran out. It's a celebration. So is it significant? What does it say about Jesus? He's willing to get involved to see the atmosphere stay upbeat, to stay celebratory, Do you know what I'm saying? The mood. He wants to see the mood carry on, I believe. We could say it's symbolic, that turning of the water into wine, that in in a clay jar. We could say we are clays of jar, and when Jesus comes into our lives, he can transform us completely from something really ordinary inside and transform us into the choicest wine. There's a symbol, I believe, of what that miracle also represented. But I believe there's a very practical reason that Jesus didn't let the wine run out. Because it was a party. 
It was a party. See Jesus as he is today. Maybe not how you've seen him before. I talked about how his mum came to him, Mary came to him and said, you know, he can fix it. And Jesus was like, well, why, why are you getting me involved? Right? Why, what is, what, it's nothing to do with me. I didn't organise this wedding. It's not my responsibility to make sure everything is here and happening. He had no reason to get involved whatsoever. But for many of the same reasons that I've talked about already, he realised that the success of the party doesn't just depend on the party planner. Do you see what I'm saying right there? Everyone who comes to the party has something to contribute towards the atmosphere and the party. Nothing worse for a DJ to stand there and be playing some thumping tunes and everyone sat there. The mood is dead. But if everyone says, well, it might not be the best type of music that they're playing, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to start dancing. Come, you know, and people decide, let's have a party anyway. The mood changes. And so I really believe that Jesus is demonstrating something for us today, that when we come to church on a Sunday, it's not about the few people who organize everything. It's about everybody coming ready to party. Everybody has got something to contribute to the celebration. And I tell you, when people come into that kind of atmosphere and they're not feeling particularly high, when they see people going for it, it lifts them. And it frees them. We know this. Hey, Jason, when we were in Kenya, we were the few white men in the building, and they were going for it. Let me tell you, we felt so lifted in our spirits by watching the freedom that these guys had. And I want to say today that when we come freely before the Lord, those around us who don't carry quite as much freedom feel more freedom. And what we want to do is have freedom in this place. When we worship, We deliberately want people to feel the freedom to be exuberant and party in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are free to do it. Okay. If you want to stand, you're welcome to stand. If you don't want to shout and dance and jump, that's fine. It really is. But I'm praying that something is going to get you inside and excite you about Jesus so that you can't keep quiet. And you can't stand still because you understand something about Jesus that you didn't understand before. Of who he is and what he thinks about you and what he's done for you. Amen. Right. I want to, I want to just ask a question. Are you going to offend Jesus by being exuberant and emotional in his presence? Are you going to offend Jesus? Right? If you've come from a very traditional church, I want you to listen You are not going to offend Jesus by having a good time because Jesus knows how to have a party. In Zephaniah 3 verse 17, this is unbelievable when you get this. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Jesus is here, the mighty one who will save. The Bible says in the New King James, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, sometimes the words, the English words that we use don't really describe the intention behind the Hebrew word. Right? So in those verses, you heard two rejoices. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will rejoice over you with singing. I want to set you free today 
right? I believe Jesus wants to set you free. I want you to see the word. That first rejoice means, in the Hebrew, to be bright, to be cheerful, to be greatly glad, joy, make mirth. Do you get the idea? Fun, 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 excited. That's God. The Bible says, he will rejoice like that over you with great gladness. He does. When we come into his presence, he gets excited to be with us. He does. I promise. He's not, God, not again. How can I bear to be in your presence anymore? You know, before any of us come into this room on a Sunday, I believe that Jesus is so excited, giddy, waiting here. He comes with us, yes. But I believe that there's anticipation, real anticipation on the behalf of God for when we come. So let me move on to the next rejoice. This is the one that I think is amazing. This changed the way I saw Jesus or understood God. really did, right? It's the word ghoul. Not necessarily a great sounding word in the English, but it's spelt very differently. And the idea behind this, listen to this, where he says, He will rejoice over you with singing. He loves to sing over you. He will rejoice over you with singing. It means to spin around under violent emotion. Hey, to spin around under violent emotion over you and you and you. That's how he feels about you. He is delighted. He can't stand still. He's thrilled by the idea that you've come to him to meet with him. And he rejoices over you with singing. No, you will not offend Jesus by being exuberant. In fact, you will just be reflecting who he is. Will you offend other people when you come exuberant? Not in this place. Let me declare that. We are celebrators. We know how to enjoy the presence of the Lord. So whoever wants to come into the presence of God here and worship freely, they're welcome to. It might be different elsewhere, but we're not bothered by what you're doing. Okay? Because you're worshipping the Lord. Right, I need to move on. Point number two. We're too busy or distracted. Sometimes we don't connect with the Lord because we're too busy or distracted. I want to read a few verses to you. It's the story of when Mary and Martha had Jesus in their home. It says... In um, Luke chapter 10, from verses 38 to 42, it says, And as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I wonder if you're like me. Sometimes you come to church or you come before the Lord in your devotional time, and your mind is just full of all sorts of things that you're thinking about you have to do. Hey? And you're so distracted. It's so frustrating. You're just thinking about this and that. And then before you know it, the time is gone. 
Here is a brilliant story for us, which we can relate to worship. When we come before the Lord, right? Martha, she's not doing anything wrong, is she? She's being a good hostess. Jesus is in her home. She's just trying to look after the guy. Make sure that all the preparations are done. Everything is just right. Hey? But she's getting distressed. Because Mary has just sat at Jesus' feet, listening to every word he says. Loving every moment with him. How does that challenge you today? If you're like me, we can be too busy when it comes to time to spend with the Lord. Too busy. You know, in that culture, to do what Mary was doing was terrible, actually. Because she was being, in a sense, really disrespectful for the guest in her house. She was clattering right against the culture in that time. In her head, she might have had voices saying, people are thinking that you're being really rude, Mary. You know that little voice when you want to be somewhere and you're like... (laughs) But she sat there because she realized time with Jesus trumped everything else. And I want to encourage you folks, whenever we gather together or whenever you come before the Lord, if you're coming with a list of things that you've got to do, you're thinking forward to the day ahead or the week ahead or you're thinking back on everything that's happened, you're going to be distracted. And you're going to miss an awesome moment with Jesus. And I don't know what it's going to take for you to do it. But you need to clear your plate. You need to come before the Lord and clear your mind. And speak to those thoughts. Write them down and say, that's it. Now I'm in the zone. I'm not going to concentrate on anything else except time with Jesus. I'm not going to worry even about the people around me and what they might think about me and what I'm doing. I'm here... For Jesus, I'm here for Jesus. He's looking up like he's up there. He's right here, standing in front of you and I. We're thinking, Lord, what can I do for you? I can do this, I can do that. And he's saying, hey, stop. I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. Sometimes as Christians, we can get confused between serving the Lord. And we can put our service of the Lord first before our worship of him. But the worship must always come first. And the second must always follow. Sometimes we can say it's okay because I'm doing it for the Lord. All the stuff that I'm doing that is not allowing me to connect with Him actually. I'm busy serving, but I'm not loving. We need to stop doing that. Because Jesus is much more important than that task. And if we don't get that feeding time in our lives, we're not going to serve like we're called to serve at all. John Stott said, listen to me, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners. That's quite profound, eh? Neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners. Our highest motive is zeal. Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you and I regularly, consistently come into the presence of the Lord and we connect with Jesus, we'll do all those things. We'll go out. We'll love sinners like we've never loved sinners before. 
We'll serve like we've never served before because we've been transformed on the inside. Jesus is turning the water into wine in our hearts, making us rich, helping us see like he sees, feel like he feels, touch like he touches. Our highest priority is burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus. My last point this morning. Sometimes we don't connect with Jesus because we have the wrong motivation. How do you view worship this time, for argument's sake, when we come together on a Sunday? How do you view it? What do you think about it? Do you think of it as a task or as a gift? Do you think of worship as something that you do? Like, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I give, I do. Can you, can you understand what I'm saying? I'll, I'll talk a bit more and hopefully you'll understand the difference. Sometimes it's actually all about us and what we're doing and being good people. Doing the right things sometimes, but it becomes a task. It becomes a duty. It can become lifeless. And we can become exhausted because we are the focus. We've made ourselves the focus of what we're doing. I'm doing this. I'm going there. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. And it becomes like a task. As opposed to a gift which says that worship is my joy. My joy. I love to worship. I love to do the things I do for the Lord. I love it. Can you understand the difference? If you're just seeing it as a task, it's a tick box. There's not a lot of life going on in there, and it doesn't feed you. But if it's your joy, you come focused to meet with Jesus. C.S. Lewis said something profound. He said, in commanding us to glorify him, God is actually inviting us to enjoy him. When commanding us to glorify him, he's inviting us to enjoy him. Do you remember Greg preached, was it last week, the woman at the well? John chapter 4. <clears throat> I want to pick out a few verses there and just make a point this morning. John chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 21 to 24. It's the story of the woman at the well. But it's these few verses that I want to pull out. Um, Let's jump a few verses forward. The woman says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So they're talking about where do I go to worship, right? Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He goes on, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. If you remember the conversation that was going on there, um, the conversation started when Jesus went to the woman and said, Can I have a drink? 
And they were talking about water, and Jesus was talking about if you drink from the, the spring, that you, you will never thirst again. And it was a conversation that was all about water, and then it moved to go and get your husband, and she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. You know how the conversation went. And Jesus revealed that he could see that uh, she had actually had five husbands and wasn't married to the guy she was living with. And she's like, wow, you must be a prophet, you know? And then she's talking about place, so the, the conversation shifts from water to worship. And, and they're talking about places where people go to worship. And Jesus is saying to her, there's coming a time when that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Because it's not where you go that's important, it's who you worship, right? And this is my last point today. Maybe if you see worship as a task, you don't understand that it's a gift because we are invited to come into the presence of the Most High God wherever we are. Wherever we are. It's not about uh, a temple, a particular one. It's not about a technique, right? It's not a, a form or, or, or a religious act. It's not a rule. It's not a regulation. It's not a tradition. That's not worship. It's about meeting Jesus face to face and relating with him. It doesn't matter. We say we go to the grand because we have church there. Is this church? It's a hotel. No. You are the church. When you come... The church comes together, right? There are some people, I like this phrase that Greg uses, their brain gets all wrinkled when they think about the fact that we meet in a five-star hotel for church. Maybe they don't know quite all the facts, but my point being is, why do you go to church at a hotel? But we love it. Because I believe that all the structures and all the buildings are all a distraction. They actually put distance between us and God. Because it's, you've come to the holy place. And it's like God is up there. and Whoa. But actually, I can walk into a function room at a hotel and be in the presence of the Lord. Hey. Do you see, I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm saying we've become distracted by things. We've forgotten what worship really is and we've made it something, which it's not. It's a hollow reflection. If I have to go to a stained glass building to worship, I'm going for the wrong reasons. I'm going with a lack of knowledge. And it doesn't have to be a stained glass building. All the different denominations have their designs. My point is, Worship is about a relationship. Simple. When we come into the presence of God, wherever we are, we can meet with Him. Because He's in us. He's in us. And when we come together, we bring church. We are the church. When we disperse and go out of here, we're still the church. We're still in the presence of our Jesus. We don't do it on a Sunday. And then get on with the rest of our lives. Every day is church in God's presence. We can have it anywhere we want. If we begin to think about worship as a relationship, we'll understand what the psalmist says when he says, In your presence is fullness of joy. 
You can come here on a Sunday, you can go to a stained glass building and you cannot feel in the presence of the Lord. But when you come into the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. There is fullness of joy. Please let that define your understanding of worship. In the presence of our Saviour, we experience and express fullness of joy, which makes me think I don't understand yet very well what it means to worship because I don't always come with the fullness of joy in my life. Is there anyone here today who thinks they've got this all sewn up? No. Please don't put your hand up because you'll be lying and you won't even know it. We've got so much to learn. We're on a quest at Lighthouse Church to put a lot of energy into worship this year because we're trying to redefine it. We're trying to find the real Jesus. We're trying to find what it really means to worship the Lord. We're going to put aside our old experiences and our old ways of doing it because why does it have to be that that, that's the way? Actually, what we want is just to meet him and to interact with him and let him transform us. You know, when we come into his presence, when we draw near to him and he draws near to us, we are changed. We are transformed by the presence of the mighty God. And so I want to say to you that worship is spontaneous. It's emotional. It's relational. It's face-to-face. If you come here on the Sunday and the wonder of Jesus brings you to tears, please cry. And cry hard. We've got tissues. We can clean up after you. Just weep in the presence of the Lord if you're captured by his wonder and his goodness to you. You don't deserve it, but you've got it. If you are so thrilled and excited by what Jesus is doing in your life, don't stuff it down. Express it. Get emotional. Become more exuberant. Clap your hands. Jump up and down. Shout. You know, you can do it over a football team. Let's do it over Jesus. He's doing it in our presence. He's saying, look at me. This is how I feel about you. How does that make you feel? And then let's respond. I know we are in a place that teaches us to have stiff upper lip, right? And to not be emotional and to be reserved. But that's not kingdom culture. Worship is not about where you come from and who you are. It's reflected in the kingdom. If they worship a certain way in heaven, that ought to become our culture. If the people who worship in heaven around Jesus do it a certain way, I believe like we have to model ourselves after Jesus in other ways, our worship should be as well. So I'm praying that you see something of Jesus. I'm a quiet, shy person. I promise you I am. If you, if you knew me and what I used to be like, you'll understand that Jesus sets people free in his presence. And there are times when I wish I didn't have my guitar and I wasn't at the front because I'd be all over this place. If you're here and you're in complete awe of Jesus and the holy presence of God is here and you just feel like you've got to be quiet and get down on your face, get down on your face. Lie prostrate on the floor in the presence of the Lord. Be free. 
be free. If you don't want to stand in amongst the chairs because they restrict you, get out into the aisle. Go stand at the back. Go stand up by the coffee table. Find some space, please. I promise you, Jesus is here. And he wants to meet with you in a way you've not experienced him before. And so we are declaring that you are free to worship the Lord. Tradition means nothing. It's all about relationship. And if you feel like many of your years are gone, you can capture the last few years that you might have and enjoy them with the Lord like nothing ever before. Nothing ever before. But it's your freedom. You come as you feel fit to praise the Lord. Amen.